In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Our text is the Gospel reading for today, which you've already heard. In the Old Testament, we see a record of how mankind, in our attempt to further rebel against God, built a tower into the heavens. But God did not let the hubris of man stand. As a further consequence of the fall, man was scattered from Babel in the land of Shinar, divided by both geography but also by language into, well, what we see in our own day today. At first blush, this punishment may seem rather counterproductive to God's plan to bring us all under one head, under Jesus Christ. If he had promised to rescue man from the fall, why would he pile on like this at Babel? Well, it's rooted in something that the Old Testament hints at time and time again. But Jesus says outright, my kingdom is not of this world. God never intended to simply patch up the post-fall world, put some band-aids on it to try to make it a little bit better and then call it good. All the prophets preached this way. Malachi, the last prophet of the Old Testament, ends the Old Testament with these words. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. This is total destruction that the Lord is foretelling. The apostles also preached this way. Peter, in his second epistle, says, But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. Now, the writer of Hebrews is a little bit gentler, and he writes, At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken. That is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for God is a consuming fire. It is at Pentecost that God begins to set up this eternal kingdom. And he does so in a way that's rather unexpected. First, before Pentecost gets there, he has to lay some foundation work. He sends a king that's born in a stable in Bethlehem. The Magi visit him and hail him with gifts that are fit only for a king. And a few years later, that same boy, now become a man, rides into Jerusalem, the city of Israel's kings, going all the way back to David, 
He rides in on a donkey, just like King Solomon did in his coronation. And that same week, crowned with thorns, dressed in a royal robe, and given a scepter, a reed of grass, but a scepter nonetheless, Jesus ascends his throne, the throne of the cross. And posted above his head in Greek, in Aramaic, and in Latin for all to read is the charge that stands against him. Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Before ascending to his heavenly throne after his death and resurrection, Jesus gave his marching orders to the apostles to expand this kingdom that was started at Pentecost. Go, therefore, he says, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Having planted his flag, his banner, and establishing this beachhead for his kingdom, Jesus sends the disciples to begin this task of bringing more and more people into his kingdom. This kingdom, though, remember, is not an earthly kingdom, but it is the kingdom of the holy Christian church in heaven and also on earth. So let's ask three questions of Jesus in our gospel reading for today. First, who is it that belongs to this kingdom? Who belongs to this church? Second, what marks do we have to know this church? If it is a heavenly kingdom, how can we tell where it is? And third, what are the treasures that this kingdom, this church, gives to its people? So let's answer that first question first. Who belongs to the church? In Matthew 28, Jesus gives the church to command to make disciples, that is, to bring people into his church, by baptizing and teaching. You heard me say those verses earlier. In holy baptism, Jesus marks us with the triune name of God, where he claims us as his own. Just as a seed is planted into the ground and needs water to be nourished and to grow and carbon dioxide and sunlight and all that stuff that you learned about in second grade earth science, so does the word of God also need nourishment if it is to take root and to grow in our lives as it has been implanted in our hearts. To rightfully carry out the Great Commission, we can't simply go around baptizing people and saying that it's good. Baptism must always be accompanied by the teaching of God's word. In our gospel reading, Jesus says this, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. People loved by God. To belong to the church is to be baptized and to keep the Lord's word. This means that to be a member of Christ's church is not only to know Christ, but also to speak of him, to hear about him, to believe that he is the teacher of the truth, but also to love him and his word. 
To be a member of Christ's church is not only to have Christ's word, but to diligently seek it. As we say in the prayer, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest it. And you cannot love Christ apart from his word. The two have to go together, just like baptism and teaching have to go together. The word that we encounter is how we encounter Jesus. If we divorce Jesus from his word, we're actually discarding Jesus himself. And unfortunately, that's all too common in our world today. They don't like Jesus teaching on this or that point of morality, and so they simply leave it aside. They discard it. That's not keeping Christ's word. They don't like Jesus' clear words on the sacraments, and so they leave it aside. That's also not keeping Christ's word. But when we keep his word, that is, when we believe it, and we live our lives from it and to it, God comes, as Jesus says, and makes his home with us. That is, makes us members of his holy Christian church. Well, now that we know what it is to be a member of this church, this kingdom, how do we recognize it? What marks do we have to tell us where it is? Well, this is an important question because there are a lot of counterfeit examples of churches in the world today. There are lots of groups that put on a good show. On top of that, we can't look into a person's heart and know whether or not they have genuine faith. We cannot look at a person to tell if they're really a Christian. So, when we think about those things, the Lord gives us some evidence that we might look for. So, getting back to the person that we're looking at, we can't tell if they have genuine faith in their heart, but can't we see the evidence in the way that they live their lives, the works that they do? The Holy Spirit is also invisible, but remember, he also made himself known through visible signs at Pentecost. We read about the wind that blew and the tongues of fire and the speaking in different languages. So it stands to reason that we can also tell where the church is by looking for the signs that Jesus gives us. We've already spoken about the word. That's one of those signs that Jesus gives to us. When the word is rightly taught, that's where the church is to be found, since that is where the Holy Spirit calls the church together. Jesus commands his church to baptize in the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit using water. Where the Holy Spirit works through baptism, we see that is where the church may be found. Jesus commands his ministers to hear confession and to absolve repentant sinners or to withhold forgiveness from the unrepentant as long as they do not repent. Jesus has called upon his people to pray to him. Jesus has commanded his church to eat and to drink the very body and blood that he has given to us here at the altar. These things, these marks, these signs are what tell us whether the church is present or not. And so, dear saints, we have to be careful about what we hear and about what we see in a church. 
If these things are not present, then we cannot be certain that it is the Lord's church. Now, that's not to say that there are not genuine Christians that err in these matters. That is certainly the case. But we can say that Satan has much more room to work in a place where the Lord's commands are simply set aside. But where the church is, there the Lord is with these treasures. Which then brings us to our final question. What are these treasures that Jesus offers to us through his church? In other words, does it really pay to seek out the true church to find it and to become a part of her fellowship? Is forsaking the world's goods and risking alienation from those around you really worth it? Well, in our text today, Jesus mentions two treasures that he gives to his church that we'll talk about. First, he says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives to you, gives to you, do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. So, dear saints, the very first treasure that Jesus offers to us is peace. Now, you might stop me there and say, well, pastor, that's not something that the world usually considers to be a very great treasure. And I get it. We usually think of things like riches or fame or power or pleasures, the things that we can do that are fun in this life. We usually think of those things as treasures. If you go to a place and you see where, what their biggest buildings are, that's what they really prize, which is why our sports stadiums seat thousands and thousands of people. They're cathedrals. But... Remember what Jesus said earlier on in the sermon. His kingdom is not of this world. And so, when Jesus gives us peace that the world does not give, we should not be surprised. We don't want the treasures of the world from our Jesus. And so, when Jesus promises to give us this peace, he's promising to give us peace peace with God. After the fall into sin, God and man were at odds with one another. We were at war with one another. And this war rages all around us as the world continues to reject the Prince of Peace. But God has given us his greatest treasure in his son, where he has won this peace for us in the very flesh and blood of Jesus. We will sing of Christ, and we have sung of him already this morning, that he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus has taken away your sins, dear saints. God has made peace between you and him through the flesh and blood of his Son. You have been united to him, and God is not angry with you. He holds no sin, whether great or or small in your eyes or the eyes of the world, he holds no sins against you. You are his beloved child claimed in the waters of holy baptism. And as if that were not enough, Jesus gives us yet another treasure that we cannot get from the world in this text before us today. 
Jesus says, I am going away and I will come to you. Jesus promises that he is coming to you. We've already talked about this with the words and sacraments. Jesus speaks to us. He cleanses us. He forgives us. He feeds us in those things. But when Jesus here is speaking about going to the Father and then coming to us, he is talking about the time where he will come to us at his last coming and at last bring us into his eternal kingdom in heaven. Jesus says in John 14, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Dear saints, with these words, Jesus is giving you his greatest treasure. He is giving you a membership, a part, a share in his eternal kingdom. He is making you a child of that kingdom, and he is promising that at the last, he will come and he will bring you to himself in heaven. That where he is, where his treasures are, there you will be also. You are children of paradise. People loved by God, on this day, when we see the New Testament church as it has been launched by the giving of the Holy Spirit, we've considered what it means to be a member of his church through baptism and teaching and keeping Christ's word. We've learned to recognize that true church through the marks that he's given to us, his word and his sacraments, his prayer and the means of grace. And finally, we've seen two of those treasures that Jesus offers to his church. Peace with God himself and also entrance into his kingdom when he comes on the last day. Blessed are you that you have found this church, that you have become members of it that you have become partakers in the heavenly treasures that Jesus gives. And so now, dear saints, let's live with these marks that Jesus has given to us to recognize this church on earth, that we might cling to it and never leave it, so that as Jesus comes to us here in this place, we might be sustained in our faith until his coming at the last. In Jesus' name. Amen. And now the peace of God, which passes all understanding. Keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus our Lord.